Welcome, my friends. Welcome to my world. I'm your host, Kevin Rutherford. It is Wednesday, September 28th. We are here live. It is time for another episode of Destination Health. We have got a big day lined up today. I'm going to be joined here shortly by Daniel Ryan Broida from Four Sigmatic. Danielle's been with us before. Uh, We've got a big day lined up today. We're going to be talking about adaptogens. Uh, Danielle just wrote a new book, and I just read it yesterday. Uh, I found out about it yesterday. I bought it yesterday. I read it yesterday. Um, Had a good talk with Danielle. She'll be joining us here soon. We've got some. This was one of those things, and you'll understand as we start to get into it. The timing for me on this was perfect. Um, One of the pieces that I've felt like has been missing from the health protocol. And I've been working on this health pro or the stress protocol, the, the living wild protocol and the stress busters. I've been working on this for almost two years now. There were several breaks in there. Um, one big break when I broke my hand, um, I got set way back and then there have been others. Um, but I think it all worked for a reason because this breakthrough yesterday was big for me, really big, a piece that I, I just wasn't getting um, about adaptogens. And I, I've even mentioned it before, and now I get it. So um, I'm excited about this, and we're going to do something a little different this time. So we'll, uh, we'll talk about that when we are joined by Danielle. Something else has nothing to do with health, but I want to mention it now. I will probably talk about it more on Friday, uh, especially if John's going to be with us on Friday, because this goes back, and I didn't realize how far back this went. Uh, This is a trucking issue, not a health issue. I'm just mentioning it today. Um, And then, like I said, I'll probably talk about it more on Friday. I've been mentioning it recently about Nikola Trucks because the original, the ex-CEO and founder is actually in court right now, and he could be facing prison time over this. This is pretty serious fraud he's being uh, accused of, and it includes prison time. I went back and looked. I can remember writing a social media post on Facebook and I tore this company apart. I said, this is a scam. Nothing about any information I can find on their website makes any sense at all. They are making some of the most outrageous claims. It was hard for me to even convey how outrageous their numbers were. It it just nothing made any sense. And I even said back then, why is the industry not speaking out against these numbers? Why isn't somebody? I mean, I did on Facebook, but why isn't the industry pushing back? These numbers are so outrageous. They don't make any sense. And then they got all kinds of support from the industry. U.S. Express ordered, I don't know, a thousand trucks. They claimed they had all these orders and deposit money was coming in. And I can remember week after week after week, uh, John and I, John was with Pittsburgh Power back then, 
but we would we we called it vaporware. I think John was the first one to use that term. But I said I have seen this so many times over my career with these new drive lines or these crazy engines with some you know wild horsepower to weight ratio. And then after a while, you know, the the industry was responding so positively to this. We thought, all right, maybe we just got it wrong. Maybe, okay, they exaggerated a couple numbers, but I guess this is a real thing. That was six years ago. Turns out that, no, he really was committing fraud, pretty serious fraud. So much so. Now, this this is kind of a big deal for me. One of the TV shows that I watch a lot. I've been watching it for years. Uh, it's called American Greed. And it's it's basically about financial scams, big financial scams, like Bernie Madoff kind of stuff. That's what makes this show. We're talking usually fraud in the hundreds of millions of dollars. Big fraud makes this show. Well, guess what? Trevor Milton and Nicola Trucks is now an episode of American Greed. Um, I think it's on this week. It's a new season. I haven't seen it yet. I just saw the preview for it last night. So I thought that was pretty wild. That, Like I said, I, I put up the Facebook post that I made sixteen year, or six years ago in 2016. You can see the date. You can see what I said. And uh, this is one of those times I actually got it right. Uh, all right. So that, like I said, not health related. We'll talk about that more on Friday. Right now. It's time to bring in Danielle and get started here. Uh, Danielle, good morning. Welcome back. Good morning. Thanks so much, Kevin. Great to t- be with you. Yeah, it's great to have you here again. And uh, I am, I'm just going to get this out of the way. I'm a little sad. You told me yesterday that um, this project we're working on right now might be your last on the radio. You're moving on to a new position. It's true. It's true. Good and bad. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Good for you and congratulations. And uh, the company's growing and you're going to be a big part of that. That's pretty awesome. So um, I've, I've been excited, you know, last couple of weeks knowing you were coming back. And then yesterday, um, Lisa just happened to mention me. Oh, by the way, um, Danielle released a book. And I'm like, what? What do you mean she released a book? So, of course, I went and got it. I read it yesterday. Thank you for writing it, by the way. Uh, the world needs this book. Oh, thank you so much. It it's, it solved such a big problem that I've just always wondered why I don't get this. The whole adaptogen thing, right from the very beginning, eight years ago when I got into the whole nutrition and health thing and started reading about adaptogens, they sounded amazing. Like, where have these things been all my life? And yet, when I tried to use it myself or even as a practitioner, I was horribly frustrated. I was not getting the results we thought we should get. We were able to help people with a lot of things, metabolically, blood sugar, blood pressure, all those things. But we'd get down to this issue. And if somebody was just overstressed, you know, we, we used that term adrenal fatigue a lot back then. We don't use that too much anymore. But it, we saw a lot of this. And when I saw it, I immediately thought, oh, that's what adaptogens are for. I know how to fix this, except it wasn't working. I just wasn't getting any results. And there's, yeah. you can go read a lot of material about adaptogens. 
I mean, you could read all day long what they are, where they come from, what do they do, where the history, it's on and on and on, tons and tons of information. But it was one of those topics, the more I read, the more confused I became. It, like, it was like, I'm not, yeah. the more I read, this isn't getting better, it's getting worse. And so I stopped reading. Mm. And I thought to myself, wait a minute, this isn't, we're not talking about like some recent you know, super food, that term gets thrown around a lot. And there's all these fads that come around and people spend all kinds of money on the latest, whatever. And then it disappears. That's not what we're talking about here. We are talking about compounds that have longer history in health than almost anything else, right? I mean, this stuff's been around 5,000 years ago. They were able to prove that this compound did this. And so this has got long history around the world. So I thought to myself, it can't be that this doesn't work. Of course it does. This was the foundation for medicine for thousands of years. Why am I not able to figure it out? So you could read and read and read and you just get more confused. There wasn't anything that I could find that put it all together in a way that made sense. You know, there's this idea that why would you pay anybody for knowledge anymore because everything's on the Internet? Well, it is, but try to figure it out yeah. sometimes. You pay people to put it in an, in an organized way that you can make sense of it. And for me, that's what your book did. Within the first couple of chapters, I was hooked. I said, I'm just canceling everything else for the rest of the day. I'm going to finish the book. And it, it was a really big breakthrough for me on something that, I've been confused about from the beginning, but even more important, it deals with an issue that I've been working on for almost two years. We've been working on a protocol here. We're kind of, I don't have an official name for it. Yeah, we're kind of calling it the stress buster protocol. And I knew this was a big piece of it that I I just hadn't figured out yet. But everything we have figured out is really effective. So we're excited about it, but it's like this piece now really kind of finish this is this up and it, it's perfect timing so now that i've just blabbed and blabbed and blabbed um you can, can you tell i'm a little excited about this what uh what's on your mind this morning well first off thank you so much i'm i'm so glad you were able to start and read the book and in, in one day it actually came out yesterday so it's really perfect timing and I felt the same way, you know, even through my graduate school in herbal medicine, we were kind of scared about adaptogens. It was like, I don't know, these can prop you up a lot. And basically, if you're not if you're not addressing underlying foundational symptoms, you know, diet, exercise, sleep, right, water, adaptogens can kind of trick you and they can make you feel really good or really energized and it might progress the underlying symptom. And so... I was a little hesitant to use them for years as well. And similar kind of thing. I would see all of this marketing riffraff all over the internet. Being an herbalist, I knew the majority of these claims people were making were just flat out not true. People can make up anything and throw it up on a blog. (laughs) Right. Yeah. Huge issue. I had my herbal textbooks from grad school, which are these huge, you know, several hundred thick, big medical books that unless you're a 
physician or, you know, a health practitioner, herbalist in some way, it's really inaccessible. Right. And you're not going to understand it. So it's like we're, we got to meet in the middle. And in the last really five years, I just saw this exploding of adaptogens entering the marketplace again. They're popping up like ashwagandha gummies in gas stations <laughs> and yeah, all over the place. Sparkling water aisles here in California and half of them have adaptogens in them. And then people would come to me and I'd see this in my, my private practice too and would be like, yeah, Danielle, I tried that. I tried that ashwagandha thing or I tried that, you know, Tulsi once. It, it didn't work for me. It's a similar story. And I'm like, okay, well, let's go through it. Were right. you actually getting what you were what you were paying for, right? This is a huge oh my gosh, we could go into what's going on in the in the field right now, but it's you, like people don't know yeah. How would we know, right? There there's all this false education. And so anyways, the goal of this book was was to be a bridge to say, okay, I combed through a th- uh, over a thousand gold standard clinical trials, which means they're double blind, placebo controlled, and really concentrated. Okay, what what is what is the science actually saying? And then also went through all every ancient materia medica, so from Ayurveda to traditional Chinese medicine, some Russian folklore, like the origin countries of these plants and mushrooms and really gathered, okay, how have they been used for these thousands of years, you know, depending on the species and point and what of those anecdotal uses are actually backed by clinical trials in modern science. And so this book is kind of a bridge of the two, which I also find is kind of rare. You either find people that are a little more hippie and heady and, oh yeah, let's, you know, <laughs> right. just get the, I fall in that sometimes. Or people that are like, show me the science. You know, I want to see the clinical trial, and if it's not there, I'm not going to take it. And what's so unique about this group, you know, of plants and mushrooms, is they have both, right? They have the deepest history of use, thousands of years, combined with the last 70 years, a really robust uh, portfolio arsenal of gold standard trials to support those traditional use cases. So it's so relevant for, for today. And, you know, we can geek out about stress and why we, we think these adaptogens are, are coming back into the, the center of our minds again. But it's really, I believe they're here to, to support us and help us and be allies. And we also have to be smart consumers. I know what we're getting. You know, it's like the most expensive supplement you'll ever buy is the one that doesn't work. <laughs> yeah, good point. Um, there's so much I, I want to get to here. I do want to go back to a point you made because I, I think it's important. And it was the idea about, are you even getting what you think you're getting? And if people think that this yeah. fraud thing, maybe it happens a little here or a little there. No, this is rampant and widespread and it is a big problem. I mean, not just supplements. I mean, look at what goes on in the food world where there is so much regulation, and yet we don't know when we're getting real olive oil or not. We don't know when we're getting real honey or not. We don't know what fish is really on our plate. They, they lie about the fish constantly. This is a big issue worldwide, and yet we just go on 
eating fake food. The, the stuff isn't even the right food. And if we don't think that is happening in supplements, it's horrible in supplements. You have no idea what you're getting yeah. unless you really do your homework, really find the sourcing. And, and that's part of what we feel like we do for our tribe here. We do the work to find that kind of yeah. thing and then we'll share it. And that, that way, at least we've overcome that one hurdle. You know, we, we know we're getting the yeah. right stuff and the right quality. And then we, you know, get to dosing and that just comes down to, you know, the experience of the practitioner. Your book had a lot of good information about that. Um, here's the other thing that um, it just fascinates me. We, we talk about, so when you talk about um, Ayurvedic or traditional Chinese medicine, we're going back thousands of years. And this group was really a, a major part of what today we would call pharmaceuticals, right? I mean, this was the medicine of the day. And it still is. It's still the second and third largest systems of medicine practiced actively in the world today besides Western medicine. It, that's pretty incredible. The second and third big, see, we, you know, growing up in this country, we think this is it. This is medicine. This is how it works. But that's right. not even close to being true. I mean, this is a snap, a millisecond in history. And here's what, you know, you mentioned we have all this history, this deep, long history of these, you know, nutrients and still being used today very effectively. We have the research now. What's amazing to me is how right they were. Like, how did they know this 5,000 years ago? Yeah, I, it, it is at one uh, one end of the spectrum a little surprising at the other. I'm like, it's not. When we think about <laughs> right. the body, we're connected to the body, and the body is constantly giving us messages. The body wants to heal. It wants to thrive. And so if we are less distracted, I find this when I'm – out in the woods, backpacking, or really connected to nature, if something's going on with my body, whether it's, you know, a muscle spasming or my stomach starts feeling off or I start to notice I'm getting a headache, I'm dehydrated, I pretty quickly can tune in and realize that and say, okay, my body's telling me something. What do I need right now? And yeah, in point. today's fast modern world, we are so disconnected from our body's messages. We've never been told really that our body is communicating with us and is wise. It's actually saying, hey, something's up when we're experiencing a symptom. And that's like a knock on the door. It's like, hey, hey, look inside. Something's not right. Can you address this? That's and so I think of a time with a lot less distraction, a lot more connection to the earth, which I think intrinsically means more connection to our bodies as well. And then a lot of trial and error. So in our western world of medicine it we've only been practicing this for a few hundred years versus with reishi mushroom or holy basil from india they had thousands of years thousands. to experiment yeah. feel with their body write it down right that's the thing also these medicines have probably been used in many other places around the world outside of ayurveda and tcm they just happen to be the best at documenting the use Right. So saying, okay, let's write that down. How did someone feel? And then, okay, this person felt the same way. Great. Let's document that. And hundreds of people, thousands of people, right, over this really long lineage. And then we have, oh, okay, that that kind of makes sense. If, if there were that many people over that much time really 
documenting well their use with these ingredients. I'm like, okay, yeah. And without all the distractions of modern day. You know, it's such a good point. And, and I talk all the time about how the standard American diet has kind of blocked or obscured all those signals from our body. That, it, that it's such a mess, it's yeah. such a horrible diet for a human being that we can't even trust the signals anymore. You know, I've heard people say, oh, well, yeah. but I crave that food. Well, just because you crave it yeah. doesn't mean that it's good. There are true natural cravings that our body will guide us to the right food if we're listening properly. But once you start eating the standard American diet, knowing that they have something called the bliss point, And they actually manufacture food to be hyper palatable and addictive. I mean, those words might sound strong, but that's what they do. They know that's what they do. And you can't trust your body signals when you're eating that kind of food. It's true. Yeah, we we can only trust our body signals when our body is coming from a place of, of balance. And so I would, I'd hear a similar thing all the time. People that would wake up and eat a lot of high sugary foods first thing in the morning, which is pretty common. You know, let's have a bowl of high sugary granola or cereal. And then a few hours later, sugar is the quickest form of fuel our body uses. So two, three hours later, that individual is craving a lot of sugar again. And then they're on this roller coaster, right? And they're like, no, like my body was telling me I needed that sugar. And, it, and it, exactly as you're saying, it was giving you the wrong messages. We're feeding it the, the wrong thing that was essentially tricking us from the get-go. And that's different than natural cravings, which um, as a woman, magnesium is, is something that is coming to mind as an example. When we're on our moon, our menses, a lot of times women will crave chocolate, right? Chocolate coming from cacao bean, which is one of the species I write about in Healing Adaptogens. The new book is actually an adaptogen. It's one of our richest natural sources of magnesium, which helps with cellular relaxation. So we think about antispasmodic action, relaxation. And so that they, there are those natural cravings that we have. But if we are feeding our bodies this sad diet, right, the standard American diet, you're right, we're, we're full of natural artificial flavors of, of all sorts of it. It's really not even food, Kevin. It's, it's, not. it's pretty unrecognizable. Right. And, and when we when we talk about stress, and we can get more into your your program that you're launching, stress by definition is really pushing us off kilter, right? It's, it's pushing us off of our center, which means it requires energy for us to get, to get back to that state of equilibrium, right? And from that equilibrium state, that's when we can really listen to our body and say, oh, am I hungry? Am I tired? What, what are these messages my body's giving us? But when we're off kilter, when we're consumed by stress hormones in our bloodstream, it takes energy, which comes in the form of nutrients, to bring us back into that state of balance. And what's happened today is not only are we more stressed than we've ever been before, collectively, as a human species, all across the world, we also are feeding our body these nutrients or lack thereof, meaning we have less tools than ever before, right? Less of this um, reservoir to draw from to even bring us back into a state of balance. And so it's really this crux that we find ourselves in. And it's no wonder that we're stressed and there's a mental health, um, you know, huge mental health issues 
going on. And, and so it's a relevant time to talk about <laughs> stress, both in the protocols, and things like adaptogens. Yeah. You know, it's interesting. You were just talking about the diet and how it lacks the nutrients we need for our body to be able to deal with stress properly. Stress is just another bodily function. We have all kinds of them. Um, this one, we didn't really understand all that well. I think I've gained a, a much better understanding of it. But not only is that food lacking in nutrition that leads to a problem with stress, there are many parts of the standard American diet that actually cause stress in our body. Just eating that food causes stress. Correct. <laughs> oh, it's a mess. It's like the double whammy. Actually, yeah. and people don't, I don't know if a lot of people understand that, that there are, you know, I, I think most people, when we mention stress, think of mental. You know, they think of the, mm-hmm. and the way I see it, all stress really is both mental and physical, Right. I mean, if anything, there might be some stress that's just purely physical, but I don't know that there, there isn't any stress that could be purely mental because it, that, that's not where stress is happening. It may start in the brain because of how we perceived something, but the stress response is completely physical and happens in our body. Yeah, the body's an ecosystem. So when we start to realize this, we say, okay, yeah, maybe there's a a stressful event that's triggered in our mind. But then what happens when we're stressed? Maybe we start to increase our breathing, right? So it's affecting our respiratory system. And then in effect, our heart starts beating faster. So then our cardiovascular system's involved, right? Then we start sweating, perhaps. It's a systemic situation that's happening where many, many systems of the body become involved. And then, of course, our body's like, oh, I got to get back into a state of balance. It's a brilliant evolutionary response, stress. Like, we need it. It's helped us survive. And yet, we are so uh, confused as a species when we experience these stressors. They're not actually life or death stressors like our bodies evolved to respond to. So, there's this amazing reaction that happens throughout the entire system that was designed to keep us alive, right? This fight, fight, freeze, or fawn. And we needed that, and it's brought us to where we are today. And yet, those stressors were few and far between. And when they did occur, our bodies would use, would basically um, use those stress hormones. We'd, we'd have enough energy, enough stamina. It's like a concentration of all that energy taking away. It's like every other part of our body went in airplane mode, right? So we could use that energy to fight, say, the animal that was attacking us, run for our life, and then we go into a phase of rest, right, to, to refuel. We're exhausted after that. We don't have that luxury today. Not only is there not a acute stressor that is a life or death situation, and it's like the news, a, a scary email, another, you know, Hurricane. someone cuts you off, someone yells at you, the food we're eating, hurricane, it's just nonstop. And then we don't, rest. <laughs> not only do we not use and move our bodies and run or, or fight or burn through those, we also don't have a phase of rest, of relaxation, of replenishing. And so we're just left with these stress hormones circulating through our systems almost all of the time. And then we wonder why we're experiencing this plethora of symptoms. Like, you know, 
you know, one <laughs> one example, um, we know that, and how many F words are we going to come up for the fight, flight, freeze, or fun? We keep adding more F words, yeah. but it, it's true though. I mean, we, we've learned more about that response and there are those, you know, I, I um, have you ever watched the TV show Alone? This is so strange. This is maybe the third time it's uh, it's come up in the past few weeks. I haven't seen it, but now I I don't really watch TV. We just got a TV for the first time in my life, but I'm I can watch it. Tell me about it. <laughs> so, you know, we, we argue about this whole. I, my thing with nutrition is, you know, this you can find a study to prove almost anything, right? You find what study? It, any study. I mean, pick anything and you can probably oh. find some study that pre- even outrageous, you know, that Fruit Loops are healthier than hamburger. I mean, we can probably find a study right. that would actually support that. Yeah, this is why people are so confused. Right. Like, a right. vegan diet's good, a paleo diet's good, a this. It's like no matter it, what lens you take, you can find enough information out there on the World Wide Web to support the lens that you want to wear. Absolutely. Yeah. And it's even, there's a name for it, confirmation bias. If we start to believe that Mm -hmm. eating a vegan diet is outrageously healthy, we will confirm that in our own mind day after day after day. We'll seek out the information that confirms it because it makes us feel good. So we actually brainwash ourselves. And I don't know where I was going with that whole thought. Alone. Um, Alone. Yeah. Alone. Yeah. So the the show how do you how do you decide then if the more you dig the more information you find there's stuff to prove everything i started coming back to how does that fit into how we evolved as hunter gatherers i mean that kind of became the gold standard for me to try to measure everything against do we have any so adaptogens we can look there's this huge history so that's always been kind of my go-to. Yeah, you could you could say that's correct or this is, but let's go back and look. Does that make sense historically? And the the evidence against what human beings really ate to survive really seems to come out in this show. So the way the show works, they they go out to someplace really pretty remote. I mean, I don't know. There's like. 12 or 13 seasons now. I mean, there's tons to go back and watch. But there, a lot of them wow. have been like up in the Pacific Northwest where I am up in, you know, Vancouver and pretty wild parts of Canada. The most recent one, they actually went clear to the other side of Canada um, because they were in the area with one of the highest concentrations of polar bears in the world. And polar bears are actually human predators. They will actually hunt human beings. The the couple seasons ago, they were in the highest concentration of grizzly bears in the world. So these are really, really remote areas. They tend to start the season late summer, early fall. So you're going into deep winter in some of these places. The 10th season, so the, the way it works, they start with 10 people. You are totally alone. There's nobody around you. There are no film crews. You have to do all of your own filming while you're out there trying to survive. You get to pick from a list of 10 items. 
Now, they have a huge list. You get to pick 10 of them. So it'll be things like fishing line or, you know, you can actually take a bow and arrow, but not a compound bow. It has to be a simple bow. And you pick your 10 items yep. and then, and none of them are food, by the way. There is no food when you get there. You are, you have to find everything you're going to eat. And that's really the big part of the whole show. It's all about eating and survival. We don't understand that. We've never lived in a world where you might not find enough food to live. But that's really the crux of this whole show. So what you see, and I don't want to be sexist about this, but there is a pattern. The men, and there are some really incredible women that have gone on the show. Uh, Their skills are amazing. The men tend to be hunters. The women tend to be more gatherers. That, that, and I think historically we could go back, and that was probably very true too in a lot of tribes and cultures. The, the women yeah. struggle horribly. They just can't get enough calories. They, they expend so many calories gathering. And it, at some point, they usually are in such a calorie deficit, they just can't go on. Now, the, the one season, wow. the, the one guy who won, he killed a musk ox with a knife. Whoa. Yeah. He shot it first with a bow and arrow, but we're talking a simple bow and arrow. Musk, musk ox are really big. So he shot it and it kind of aggravated it and wounded it. And he circled it and it circled him and he jumped on its back and slit its throat with a knife. And he had wow. so much nutrition and fat that he was able to do almost nothing after that except just focus on surviving. When the gatherers were out day Mm. after day after day, and they would just expend so much energy, and then when winter would come, they were toast. I mean, there's almost nothing to gather at that point. So it it really pointed out to me that I really do believe the basis for the human diet was animal products, and that plants are kind of a backup food and our medicine. I just think there's, there's such a, a powerful medicine more so than food. Now, clearly we can eat a lot of plants. We could survive on them. We could live forever on just plants. People do, but I don't think it's optimal. And when you watch this, they, they all come to realize pretty quickly, the most important nutrient in their life is fat. Nothing else really matters. All they want to do is get enough mm-hmm. fat that they can survive. So interesting. Yeah, I definitely, I've got to check out this show. And, and there's a lot of things that are, are, we can glean from that and say, okay, how have we, eaten, you know, historically, and what is coming to mind for me, first and foremost, is eating real whole foods. And those animals that, that these people are going and hunting are eating real food, right? right? They're eating wild. Exactly. Yeah. They're hunting, they're gathering them, they're hunting, like their diet. And so I, I do feel it's really important to call out that if we can get wild game, right, if we can yes. go and, and hunt or tag or, or be with someone, and we don't need that amount of fat three meals a day all day throughout the year, which I think is the, the confusion today. Right. Right. It's like that was a lot of effort for this guy to go and hunt that ox. And in order to, yeah, he probably rationed that out and ate it throughout several weeks and uh, yeah so so just the 
when we think about like quality and quantity, absolutely. If we're eating, you know, whole real food and to me, whether that's meat or fish or plants or fungi, if it's, if it's out of the box, you know, or out of the package <laughs> yeah, or if it doesn't right. have a label, it's, yeah. it's probably something that we evolved to eat and therefore our bodies recognize and know how to use it. Yes. Right. We've evolved right. alongside and so we've developed mechanisms to process, to digest, to use this food as as nutrition and as medicine. Um, you, today, our meat is is oh, often not. It's <laughs> awful. In the yeah. Format. Let, let's just say it. It's awful. awful. Yeah. Yeah. And so we have to look at a, a combination of what did we do historically, what's the gold standard, and then what do we have available to us today, and. For me personally, if I can be involved in um, processing animals or, you know, friends that go out and have an elk tag or, you know, are hunting deer, I will absolutely help process and, and yeah. enjoy and use that meat. Yeah. The rest of the time, if I can eat a lot of mushrooms, if I can eat a lot of other plant-based foods that are real whole foods, right? Not all this processed fake shit. Sorry. No, no. I <laughs> but, love but, that. You're uh, right. Uh, and then I think the most important is, 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 it, is it a whole real food? Or would our great, great, great grandparents recognize what is on our plate as a food? And that's it, kind of my gold standard. So Exactly. Yeah. It, you know, the other real lesson that, that you take, if you're kind of looking at, I, I watch this for the lessons. Honestly, it's not that great of a show. It's, it's pretty slow. I mean, remember these—they have to film all their own stuff, uh, so that's a little weird. It, it's right. it, it's kind of slow, but it's one of those shows that I can actually put on in the background while I'm doing something else and glance up once in a while and see what's going on. Um, but one of the things you uh -huh. really understand, we and the name of the show is alone. I I really think this is kind of their point of the show, although they don't highlight it as much as they should. We can't live alone. We just can't. Human beings will not survive alone in the wild. You can see that when you watch the show. The, you know, the, the, the mm -hmm. longest they've made it, the 10th season. So the normal thing is 10 people go out. Nobody knows who drops out when. So when you're out there, it might be day 62. You have no idea if there's six people left or only you and one other. You have no idea. Some, one day they show up and say, hey, guess what? You won. It's just whoever makes it the longest. They have a satellite phone they tap mm -hmm. out on, you know, if, when, when they've had enough, they tap out. Um, so the 10th season, oh, and by the way, the winner gets a half a million dollars. It's a pretty darn big prize. Wow. Yeah, it's a half a million dollars for the winner. Now, the 10th season, they threw in a twist. Not only did you have to be the last one, you have to make it at least 100 days. And that took them pretty deep into winter, oh. so it got pretty serious. But at 100 days, there was still a survivor. But you could tell he wouldn't have made it through the winter. We, we really aren't yeah. equipped to survive alone. That's kind of the whole point. So now once we start forming tribes, now we can hunt and gather. When, when you're kind of alone, there's just not much time. You've got to build fires and you've you got to protect yourself. There's so much that has to be done. In fact, the last season was really right. interesting. The guy who won it took a wildly different approach. 
He went out there on day one and said, I'm not going to build a fire until I absolutely have to to survive because it's so cold. So he drank his water without boiling it, a little bit of a risk. He ate all of his food raw. He wouldn't build a fire and cook it. And his idea was, look, this is all about energy conservation. Finding, gathering, chopping, building fires takes tons of energy. And do I really need to do that? And he didn't. So that worked out pretty well for Mm -hmm. him. Then when it was down to the last couple of people and winter was coming, and now whether you're hunting or gathering, it gets much more difficult in the cold and snow. He decided, I'm going to fast for the rest. I'm going to fast until we're done. I'm not even going to try to find food. He ended up winning. Whoa. Yeah. Wow. He ended up winning. Incredible. Incredible. Yeah. So the the whole connection, really, human connection that we lived in tribes for a reason. We really can't survive alone. We are. We're social beings. And we've had this really uh, strange shift of that. And it's pretty new in the Western world in the past couple hundred years where we have this idea of rugged individualism, right? And going out and doing things on your own. And for me, living in, in other countries for a, for a large portion of my life, this is so abnormal where we, as the, the time we're 18, it's go off on your own right. and it's very consumer centric. We're encouraged to get our own house and our own television and our own refrigerator and, and buy, buy, buy. And when, when you go to other countries, a lot of, I spent a lot of my life in Asia, that's just not the case. And everyone moves in. And if you get married, you build an extension of that house and the aunts and the grandparents are all there. And when children are born, you have a village to support and help. And so that you can work or garden or, you know, whatever, whatever your hobby or passion or career might be. And you have your whole community there to support and make, make life as easy as possible. Right. Many hands make light work. And I come back to the States sometimes. I'm like, what, where did like what what happened here? Think you know, about we're, we're we're so obsessed with this idea of I have to do these things on my own, and you're just so right. When we look at like where we're happiest, it's when we're in community, when we are working with others, when we are using. Because we all aren't a jack of all trades, right? We we all have these skills that makes us who we are. And if we're trying to do 15 different things to survive and be a parent and hold a career, and I mean, the list goes on and on, there's no way we can maintain that. And so when we talk about stress, of course, like look at what we're trying to juggle versus what, where can we lean on each other? You know, talk about skills on that show alone. Um, I've watched people weave their own fishing nets and if I had to weave my own fishing net to survive, I, forget it. I'm going to die. It's just, I just don't have that kind of skill. I, I, but to watch those people do that was just incredible. Now, you have experienced other cultures. Here's how much of an extreme we take this alone thing in our culture. Why in the world do we think it's a good idea to build a brand new infant in its own room? Right. 
That's a horrible idea. Yeah, I, and yet we debate it. We fight about it. Oh, you can't let your children sleep in your bed with you. That's horrible. No, it's not. Where did we ever get an idea like that? Yeah, there's a there's a lot of constructs, and just like you said, with you can you can try on a, a lens and find a, a lot of evidence to back up your opinion. It's the same thing with this situation. And again, I think it's a combination of traditionally what have how have we done things, right? How have we how have we evolved and survived and gotten to this place? And then also being really realistic about what are my modern day circumstances, and perhaps when. You know, our, our babies were sleeping in our beds with us. We could pass them off to a, a grandparent first thing in the morning and we could go do our self-care or whatever it looks like. And today I talked to moms who they're like, I have to get up at 8 a.m. and work, you know, one or two jobs to make enough money to, to feed my family. And if my baby's keeping me up all night and I don't get sleep, I've got to put my baby in the other room, right? It's like we, we've got to be have this job of how, how things were, what's the reality of today, and, and finding a middle ground that works for you. And I think tuning out, it's like we have this amazing sense of intuition. We know our ourselves, if we can really <laughs> tune into that, our, our children, our partners. And we are just, yeah, there's so much noise that it becomes really hard to even listen to what is right for you. And just like diet, I really don't believe there's one right way. And no. this has been the case for thousands of years. It's like there are, uh, every human is, is unique and requires different things based on where we live and our activity levels. And um, I mean, so many factors about our, our physiological or our skin. You know, so something I, I just thought of when you, when you were saying that, we should really celebrate how amazing the human body is in that it, wherever or however it could find nutrition, it found it and adapted to it. And think about, I mean, yeah. if you take a, what is it? A, not a panda, a koala bear. Isn't it? Don't they just eat one leaf? Isn't that their only food? Interesting. I know they, they eat leaves, but I don't know what leaves. Now I'm so curious. I, well, I knew it and it just popped out of my mind. It's, um, Oh, it'll come to me in a second. I think I've got it right. But I think it's the only thing they eat. So if you tried to transplant yeah, that animal it, right? to another part of the world, it would die. It couldn't survive. But we we can survive mm -hmm. anywhere. It's pretty incredible. Yeah. But yeah. it has to it's, be real it's food. It's, it's, it has to be real whole food. And that, that line has gotten so skewed as well. Oh. Uh, but yeah, real whole food. But the problem, I mean, we, we could just go deeper and deeper. And I don't mean to stress everyone out here, but <laughs> I, I like this in the book, the four of common fruits and vegetables. So the, this, when we are turning to real whole foods, we have a, a very limited selection of what real whole foods look like, even in our grocery stores today. You know, there used to be several hundreds of varieties of potato, of a tomato, of, you know, different salad greens that we would eat. And we've really condensed because we've commodified and, and allowed these to be grown on such a mass scale. And the consequence of that is a, a severe drop in the nutrient density of these 43 most common foods. So even when we are eating 
a whole foods, you know, real, even ideally organic or seasonal produce and diet, we have less nutrition than we did eating these same foods 50, 100 years ago. And this is where I'll bring it back. I'll make a plug again for adaptogens. But this is why one of many reasons they are so relevant again today, because these 20 to 30 plants and mushrooms are the most phytochemically dense, the most nutrient-rich foods and medicines that exist on the planet. And so it's, you know, we kind of have to switch this mentality where we're used to thinking, oh, if I can eat a, a caloric rich food that will give me enough energy, perhaps not. A lot of our caloric rich food is actually nutrient sparse. Very right? so much like so. A, a white potato, for example. Yeah. But there's not a lot of nutrients versus um, moringa leaf, for example, one of the adaptogens hey. I talk about in the book. It, it's incredibly nutrient dense. It's used as a meal replacement in malnourished populations around the world because of how much nutrition it holds, even though the caloric profile is really low, right? So how can we supplement? How can we bring back these, again, they're real whole foods, but so nutrient dense to give our bodies the tools, the nutrition it needs to combat day-to-day life. So it's kind of funny that uh, one of the first adaptogens you happen to mention, we are going to bring this around to adaptogens if people are wondering. Um, What we've been talking about (laughs) is why this is so important how much our life has changed from when we were hunter-gatherers. Um, so all this we've been talking about is building up to why um, these adaptogens are so important. It's interesting that the first one you mentioned is Moringa. I was busy yesterday. Not only did yeah. I read your book, I bought a Moringa tree. What? Yes, I did. It should be here in a couple days. That's what Oh my gosh, I'm gonna. I'm like, it's bringing me to tears. It makes me so happy that you are inspired and bought a moringa tree. I did, I, on, Kevin. I found out that they grow well in containers. The bigger container you put it in, the bigger you can get. I, when it gets here, it's going to be four or five feet. So I'm going to need a pretty good sized container, and I'm in an area where I I I might buy another one and plant it in my yard and see if it survives. I'm in an area where it's going to be really close. You know, if we have one of those cold nights, I might have to go out and cover it or put a little heater out there. So I, I might try that. But the first one, I'm going to grow it in a pot. And cool. in the wintertime, I'll just move it into my greenhouse and it'll be fine in there. And uh, yeah, I'm going to have a moringa tree. Yeah, it, it's it's really an incredible, incredible plant. I'm, I just opened the book and wanted to share. I mean, there's there's so many incredible benefits to this leaf, but... When we think about, again, we're like trying on a new pair of lens. Like, wait, a leaf can be more nutrient dense than like a big plate of food that I'm eating. Well, moringa leaves as one, so many within this book, but moringa, they have double the amount of protein per gram as yogurt, four times the amount of calcium as milk, and about the same amount of potassium as a banana, same amount of vitamin A as two carrots, three times the amount of vitamin C as an orange, Contains critical minerals for hydration and and cellular relaxation, things like chromium, manganese, um, you know, important for healthy joints, immune health, reproduction, and and the list goes on. The antioxidants, I mean, it's just a powerhouse. Yeah, and I'm going (laughs) to... And it's a leaf and we can... uh, Yeah, I'm going to go out and pick leaves off my moringa tree and make tea. Beautiful. Beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so let let's, oh, let's so, 
dive into the topic here, the adaptogens. First off, I was when I was reading your book yesterday, I was reminded of a quote. And the quote was, and I might butcher this a little bit, but I think I'll get it close. When the student is ready, the teacher will show up. That's really what I felt like this book was mm. for me. Like I've been fighting this mm. and, you know, kind of been all around it and just can't seem to figure it out. And, and like right now I'm ready. You know, like I've tried to read everything I could. I wasn't getting it, but, but I'm, I was ready for that answer. And that's like you showed up. Wow. Yeah. The I other, love that. It's so true. When we can kind of out of our own ways and let kind of the magic of, of what is this universal energy, whatever we all call it to do its work, things show up for us. And yeah. it's, it's amazing. It is a, a yoga teacher who says, I expect miracles to happen. She expects miracles every day. Yeah. Yeah. I love <laughs> like, that. What a cool perspective. Yeah. I, I love that. The other thing, you know, I do a lot of trucking stuff with the fuel mileage maintenance. I do a lot of financial stuff. One of the terms we use a lot, is the sweet spot for different things. Like, you know, where should an engine run to get its very best fuel economy? And we, we kind of refer to that as the sweet spot. Um, you can mm -hmm. apply it to a lot of things. But what it really is, is basically a bell curve. You know, so many things follow a bell curve that, you know, there's, there's the more you do, the better things get until they don't anymore. And then... If you do more, they can actually start to get worse. I mean, that's kind of what a bell curve is showing us. I thought the your explanation of the adaptogens was really interesting. I would almost call them the sweet spot supplement. Like part of, hmm. and maybe you can help me understand this, but this idea that they're non-toxic, and if you take too much of them, there isn't really that downside, that toxic downside. You're not right. going to get any more benefits. You know, there is a there is an optimal dose, but it's it's nice yeah. to know that if we exceeded that optimal dose, there isn't any real big downside. Can you talk about that more? Yeah, it's true. Yeah, absolutely. So what is one of the commonalities among these groups of plants and mushrooms is this non-toxic nature. And it's exactly what you're saying. You can't necessarily overdose or take too much and then start experiencing all these negative symptoms and the reason is because of the other similarities within these these plants and mushrooms which is the normalizing and non-specific activity and so in, if we think simply okay something is working to bring my body in balance how do we take too much of it if the, the goal of that species <laughs> right. is right. balance and so our bodies can only utilize a certain amount and often if we're totally new to taking you know, reishi mushroom, for example, we might need a different amount than if we take it every day and, and based on your stress levels and uh, many different times of your life, you might need more or less. But think of it like your body can only use so much at a given time. And the rest is, it's not necessarily an overflow because it's different than, you know, certain vitamins that we, we excrete out if we're taking too much. But our bodies literally can't use more than a given amount at certain times. And so this is why I do these recommendations because, again, if you take too much, it's like a wasted supplement. Right. So we, we, have, we start slow and we can, we can gently build up. And then there's more of a ceiling dose. It's like, okay, that's, that's the maximum my body can use at this time. And any more than that, 
I'm not going to get more of a balance or more of a normalization. I'm just going to let my body begin to normalize over time if I use this ingredient consistently. And that's another piece to it, right? They're, they're used more as daily tonics. So as opposed to a lot of our other, even plant medicines are used acutely, right? So I'm experiencing right. a symptom and I want to take a plant to treat that symptom. Adaptions are really different. The, the history of use is they're added into daily brews or with turmeric, they're added into foods on a, on a daily, weekly, monthly, you know, annual basis. And so I think of them more, more like foods. And of course they exist on a spectrum. So some literally are like foods, your moringa, Tulsi, which is in the basil family. They're not all exactly the same, right? They're all unique. They have these similarities like you and I, Kevin, right? We have a lot of similar interests and we're here on a Wednesday morning talking together, but we each offer these unique things out to the world, similar to the adaptogens, right? They have these, these common traits that bridge them and put them in this one umbrella grouping together. And yet they each offer something slightly unique, right? They have a different phytochemical makeup. So they have different compounds that our body uses and then experiences slightly different effects from. But as a group, they all share this ability of being normalizing, balancing, helping their bodies adapt, right? Bring us back into the state of equilibrium and being non-toxic, which again, is really important for, for the mindset today where there is a low barrier to entry. You know, if you don't know where to start, if you're like, oh my God, I'm overwhelmed by modern day and the food I'm eating and the standard American diet and the food's not being as nutrient dense as they were, where do I begin? Adaptions are a really gentle place to begin, especially some of the, the more nourishing ones like reishi, tulsi, ashwagandha, moringa, um, and you don't have to have the fear associated with even, I, I do find there's fear with other, other plant medicines, like, oh my gosh, I don't know how much to use or, or at what time and the right dosage. And so, yeah, one of, one of the goals with this book was teaching, teaching the humans to fish, right? Not giving them <laughs> right. a fish right. and helping us determine, okay, how do I get a high quality adaptogenic product? Right? Am I getting the right form, the right dose? Is it bioavailable for my body use it? Is it the right quality, right? Is it clean and pure? Is it organic? And from there, being able to use them and, and start to listen to our bodies again, right? Find that sense of connection. Uh, and then we can see our bodies slowly shift. Um, and it's, it's really one of the least intimidating arenas of herbal medicine that I've encountered which is why I felt really called to, to get this book out to people that maybe have never heard of them or don't know how to use them or have seen all this misinformation, like you mentioned, all over the internet and just need a, an accessible, but still deep enough to give you, you know, the science and the history, but really accessible guide without the fear of like, okay, I can bring these into my life. I can start experiencing how these move and shift in my body and how, our symptom pictures begin to change when we have the support of the nutrition that these plants and fungi carry. Well, you know, just like the adaptogens, I really think with your book, you hit the sweet spot. I think you, you really did. You gave people enough information to start to feel comfortable with these. But having said all that, 
you know, you can't really, you're not going to see any real negative side effects if you get this completely wrong. Um, but it, we could also say that if you're working with somebody that really knows what they're doing, they could probably shortcut this process a lot. Um, what I wouldn't want to see people do is run out and buy all of this, taking it all at once, saying, well, it can't hurt me. Well, it, it really can't. But some of the there are some more aggressive adaptogens, right? You, you talked about some of the nourishing. Um, there are some more aggressive adaptogens, right? Yeah, and, and my biggest fear there is that they can prop you up and give you this false sense of like, oh, I feel really balanced and energized and focused. And if you are using them as a crutch, that's that's never the long-term solution, right? It's the opposite of what we're trying to do here. Um, so using them as an ally, as an assistant, as one piece of your health journey and always continuing to pay attention to underlying whether it's diet or, you know, needing to move your body more or get good sleep, right? These foundational aspects need to be addressed simultaneously and then bringing the adaptogens on board to support, you know, it's like one, I'm thinking of one slice of the pie, um, but it's not the whole thing. And, and so if you're addressing the underlying symptoms and using an adaptogen and, and starting slow, right? And starting with some of these gentle adaptogens, that's, I think, where we're going to see the best long-term results. You know, one of the, so you talked earlier about, you know, do we, we teach somebody to fish or do we give them a fish? Uh, our approach has always been, I, I don't want to, you know, my whole career, really, my whole radio show, the business we built is really all about kind of me answering questions. I mean, that's what my show is. It's calling you have a question, I have an answer. But I've always tried to tell people, <laughs> I don't want to be the guy that just gives you the answer all the time. I don't want you to have to call me every time you need an answer. I want to teach you how to learn. I want to teach you to be comfortable with these things and go out and try them and make mistakes on your own. You'll learn. You know, but we'll we'll be here to kind of guide you so you don't get so far off track that you get frustrated and this doesn't work. So you, you do kind of have to find that sweet spot, you know, and I tell people, look, if it's a budget issue, I'll do everything I can to help you do this on your own at, at no cost. But I can also tell mm -hmm. you that if you can afford to work with a good practitioner, your results will be far better. There, there is a, a lot to know about how to use these properly. The good news is you can go out and screw up all you want and there's no real danger and eventually you'll probably learn. So if that's where you are and you, you really can't afford, you know, read the book, start there because the book is absolutely incredible when it comes to that. But if you need to go out and make the mistakes, then go do it. You know, you, the book it will guide you enough that, that you'll be safe, you'll get results, you'll know kind of what you're looking for. I know me, and, and you and I are going to announce a program today at some point. Um, I know me and I know what I will do wrong in this. Even with all the research, all the reading, I know what will trip me up. And I want to tell people, if they, if they read through, do you list 21 adaptogens in your book? Is that the right number? Yes. Yeah. When you read them, you'll want to take them all. I mean, how could you not? You read these benefits and you're like, well, of course I want that. Why wouldn't I? 
But every one of them starts, and I know what I would do. I'll pick out things like something I barely knew anything about till I read the book. Am I saying this right? Eleuthero? Is that right? Yeah, Eleuthero. Eleuthero, perfect. I look at that that and think, oh, yeah. Why don't I just take some more of that? That gives me endurance, helps me. (laughs) I'll be that one that I'll try to cheat a little bit. You know, I'll try to push the limits and I'll use them probably in the wrong way. So I, I, I want some guidance in the beginning. Yeah. And it, and it's up. Yeah. It's up to you. You said a lot of really interesting things. The first is you have to experience them for yourself. So if that's your style and that's what you're prompted to do, even as your practitioner or not, I don't want to get too much in the way of that. I had one of my most amazing herbal teachers of all time, really brilliant, wise woman would take herbs, she would she would try to overdose on herbs to experience the full <laughs> that effect, that's me what they offer that's me yeah and this this was her way of learning they sometimes she would vomit or have these you know really unpleasant experiences but she said I know the full the full picture of what this plant medicine can do for me so I would you, take the smallest amount the largest amount and that was her process you, and she had such a deep connection and understanding of these plants through that. And that's not my method at all. I'm slow. I'm gentle. I do one at a time, then I'll mix in another and and start experiencing with a synergy. And that works for me. And so part of what I mentioned over and over again in this book is I'm giving you um, a a guideline, right? What has been done in the past, what our clinical trials say, a, a recommended range of dosage and how to source these appropriately. But really it starts with your body. Because these are whole unique beings, just like your body is is unique in an individual. And so I really think about pairing humans with these adaptogens more like matchmaking. Like even if even if Eleuthero has these amazing touted benefits, it might not be right for your body. And you don't know that until you start to experiment slowly, ideally. So if you're taking, you know, <laughs> ten adaptogens at once, how do you know what's working or what's not? Exactly. Part of getting most out of it is that slow effect, that listening and saying, okay, I'm going to try a loose throw for five days, 10 days and see what shifts in my body and how I feel. And even though it's known to be wonderful with immunity and endurance and brain health, you might experience something totally different. And that's not uncommon. That's actually expected. This is like that matchmaking effect. It's like if I have these personality traits and you have these personality traits, Based on who we're around, different traits are going to be louder. Different traits will come out. And there's a melding or there's an a off-putting effect. Same thing with our plants. These are real whole beings. Yeah, in- interesting. So I think I'm more along the lines of your herbal teacher. My philosophy has always been you can't possibly know <laughs> the limit until you break it. <laughs> right? I, just, I hear you. Yeah, I, That's... That's just how I learned. But there there can be some downsides to that. So finding that happy middle ground, and we're going to talk about that later. All right. Um, we'll wrap this up. We will see you back here tomorrow. Be safe. Be profitable. Be fit and healthy. Always do the hard work and master the journey. <laughs>